Hi, everyone. Welcome to the next episode of the Glass Firmaments podcast. I believe this is episode three. I'm pre-recording them. Um, today, I have two guests with me. Um, care to introduce yourselves? I don't know who's going to go first. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you want to introduce wait. first or wait. me. I don't so know. <laughs> I'm going to go first, and then y'all could, like, sort it out, and I'll just, like, edit all of this in the, bat- in the posts. That's um, fine. <laughs> Yeah, sorry. I just didn't think that through. <laughs> wow. Um, so I'm Cameron. Um, I'm not sure what I said in the last couple of episodes, but I've been practicing. I practiced Wicca for about five years. I moved on to Ifa and the diasporic traditions more recently. And now I'm studying a bit into Golden Dawn. And the more I look into world, let's say world religion, the more I realize it's the same. And I feel like I created this podcast to be a space for us as Black practitioners to talk about not only our practice, but our real life issues with the things we see, the things we do, and who we are. Um, so if Josh would like to go first, cause he's unmuted. Um, so I'm Josh. I'm an eclectic practitioner of like a plethora of things. Um, I, I'm a practicing witch. Um, I'm pretty eclectic when it comes to that. I study many things. Um, I grew up in a very family so I feel like a lot of my teachings kind of revolve around like Islam and um, you know the mixture of things the Bible um, and also just other things that I picked up Um, but yeah I chose music because I feel like I use music a lot in my like just every day I feel like music is something that everybody can relate to like we all have like that kind of like playlist that we just like put on whenever we're like doing something like or whatever. Um, and I feel like we just unconsciously manifest things when we're like, you know, receiving that energy because it's like, you know, when you hear like a song or whatever, it's like almost kind of like built into us to like, well, at least, at least to me, I feel like I just, I feel you could feel whatever that person was trying to portray through their like, music and it comes that many things, different vibes and things like that, that like us as witches and as a cultist, I feel like when we're aware of that, we can, I don't know, take it a step further because like we can use it in spell work and different things like that. And not to mention like our ancestors, it's, I feel like uh, even us as being like men from like the Caribbean, where we have like that African and like, I'm, I'm Puerto Rican, so I have that in my blood, like our ancestors dance, um for rain for war for fertility for um different things so i feel like i just have this like connection i feel like i have this i don't know when i I started dancing when i was in high school um i've always just kind of been drawn to music um playing instruments i played the flute i've I, i played the drums before that's pretty much like the only thing i've been drawn to as as for instruments but like um 
I've always just been interested in like things like that, dance, music, um, art, um, and I don't know. I I felt like music was just something that was just something that we all can we all can relate to. Um, so yeah, thank you, uh, <laughs> Artemis. Care to care to share why you pick? Well, who you are, what your practice looks like like how it evolved and what brought you to chose media representation? Hey everyone. Okay, so my name is Artemis St. Moonchild. I am a hoodoo practitioner. I am also a practicing witch and I'm also a live mermaid as well too. Catch me at the oceans or in the rivers. I'll holla back at you. And um, I'm covering within this, um, I'm covering within this section of media representation because a lot of things that we are like we tend to like kind of forget that media influence us a lot on the aesthetics that we represent today on the image of whatever we deem as successful uh, we get that through media like we've been told many times before like media is like hypnotizing like it's mind control right but at the same time there's other perspectives regarding media it's a look of another reality we all live in the multiverse so it's like when we see these realities of representations of these occult practitioners these witches these sorcerers these shamans like suddenly that reality is blending with our own reality and we become those characters we relate to those characters and it's just it's a there's a power within that synchronicity within that alignment and i wanted to discuss on how it makes a bigger impact on us, especially the way we practice our magics. Thank you. Um, Josh? So I feel like I just am always, I, I just find myself drawn to that naturally. I've always, I've always uh, used dance and music in my manifestations. Um, just a song i don't know just incorporating that with my spell work i don't know what to talk about like in specific like yeah, it's just i mean with me i kind of i notice that when i light my altar and i just start like praying i'll have music playing in the background and i just want to dance like not necessarily yeah. for myself but like with the spirit and like, like something oh, oh. No, sorry sorry no you go <laughs> no all I, I was gonna say was just like you know like even when it comes to like dancing too like um when i took something that drew me to dance was like the stories that like you're at like people that, i don't know through the movement you're creating a story um so i had to learn a lot of choreography and then that choreography like it came with a story it came like you you would go into like I don't know, I feel like I would trance out. You almost would, I don't know. Um, I don't know, it's like a different, I feel like I would just go into a different kind of dimension or like I mean, dream. These different songs and, what were you saying? That's low-key the representation of Shango too. Like the three wives that he has are three different levels of life. You have Oshun where it's very fertile 
And this is something I got from the Ashe shop on Instagram. She's been very helpful to me in my like content creation journey. Um, but basically you have Oshun, who's the level of life. Then you have Oya, who's the aged version of that. Then you have Oba, who's the separated version and like the loss of touch of a loved one. And these are just different, almost milestones that are represent, represented under Shango, the god of death, um, god of dance, la. Yeah. <laughs> um, sorry, one second. Yeah, but these are just a bunch of different milestones represented under Shango, the god of dance, the Orisha of dance. Um, so um, let's start out with Kali Ma. We were talking about her earlier. Um, Artemis, you, you're more familiar with this artist and you, re you actually recommended to her to us before. Um, care to share your thoughts? Yeah, okay, sorry. <laughs> the um, microphone was acting. Right. Anyways, um, yeah, so Kalima, OMG. So more like a story, just how I discovered her. Um, I don't know who he was. I think he was Black Magic Boy, his Instagram name. And he was just one of those Instagram followers that never shows his face, but always shows like bomb memes of witches. And I'm just like, dude, I don't know who he is, but I fucks with his energy. And he tagged me in a um, post that he made dedicated to Hecate and the dark goddesses and I I expressly explained I worked with Hecate for many years like almost actually 10 years maybe 10 years plus I'm um, working with the dark goddess the crossroads and it was the Kalima song um what was the song God um hold on let me go to my phone it was don't be careful who you call Kalima. No, that wasn't it. Nope. Hold on. Give me one second. It's going to bother me until I actually <laughs> find it. But when I saw that song, I was like, hold up. I fucked with this energy. It was rap. It was rap music. A, a part of my people's music. In like, it was rap music explaining about my culture. Explaining about actual magic. Not just like the magic that we've learned from, you know, like medias from like those Caucasian witches. And we'll have to say that right now. No, it's magic made from skin folk. Like in that rap, she was naming all like the Odishas, like the Odishas she worked with. She gave us a little dab of what she practices, her views on the left hand path. And many of us are usually, and it started around the witch movement um, in the 1930s, I think, or was in the 1950s. It was around the time of Gardner. They, witches were, or magical practitioners were avid of only showing the light side of magic. It wasn't up until recently we decided to show all aspects of magic. The dark, ha, I told you I was a witch, but you still fuck with me side. And the light, oh, but I can still heal your pets type side. You know what I'm saying? Both sides. And Kalima was strictly on that side with the left where I'm really triggered to fucking you over if you try to fuck with me. Otherwise, I'm a solid girl. Like, that's what her rap gives me. Like, the vibes give me. And it's called The Conjuring of Kalima. Boom. Yes. So it's called The Conjuring of Kalima. 
And that song specifically was like, you can call on me, but be careful. Be careful, be careful. And it gives us, like, it gives Neophyte, which is, like, this dark demon vibe, like, there is some good stuff, but also be careful of who you invoke. You know what I'm saying? And Kalima plays this, like, crossroad, devil-like, like, entity, how she describes herself, you know what I'm saying, in the rap. Because witches are crossroad spirits in, um, in human vessels, because a witch, you always can find a witch in a crossroad. Always. I mean, it's our queen, you know? So when I heard her, and then she got another song called Dem Brujas, and it was like, in Satan we trust. And I was like, oh, why did I not feel like scared? I felt powerful when she said that. She said, in Satan we trust. And I'm like, I don't, I don't worship Satan or anything. And even a Satanist can tell you not to worship Satan <laughs> because their path is all about becoming their own God. So I'm just like, ooh, it was like a spark of divinity, you know, that, um, that dark side is tempting because it teases the thoughts that we never dare to think because it was so like, you know, dark. It was like being shamed. It was like, it was embracing your dark side and like complimenting it instead of shaming it. Like, you know, the judo Christian religions do. I think it was challenging. Interesting that you mentioned there is uh-huh. the idea of the dark side. Um, so you mentioned how Kali Ma represents the, the earth-based and dark or spark of divinity like spirits mm-hmm. and i just think a lot of neophyte witches they tend to gravitate towards a eurocentric point of view a lot of times and that's why i'm creating this show because um it it's just a shame that i didn't like learn off the jump about arisha because my family right. was afraid to summon the devil when in actuality that left hand side that's issue that's that's not anything to be ashamed of that's ogun that's ochosi they guard you (laughs) and it's just it's really interesting to see this shame of negativity and shame of black magic when the 80s uh-huh. come down and when we have the like generation of Wiccan traditions through Eric Gardner, because like really uh-huh. the Gardenian witchcraft is about 80 years old. And yeah, being older than that, like that's either us or that's European. That's not trapped in the confines of black, white, Spanish-speaking, Patois-speaking, like. And take notice, additional on that, Gardner was the one he did, he did enforce the um, harm ye none Wiccan rule, which he got from an Italian grimoire of a strega. So it's like, harm ye none is just what the stregas do. Like, if you're not that old-school strega, you know what it is, what it isn't. But otherwise... Like, it was enforced in the Wiccan tradition. And I guess that's why it's been a negative light on Wiccans, not the religion, but the people themselves, because that's where the shame is going to continue of people who openly practice this left-hand magic, 
who open who opens the you know treks with the dark side and i like you mentioned of a tweet i just I, I made like literally last week where i said people are still shaming people for casting curses y'all want to keep talking and become a subject like because <laughs> these people are ruthless like <laughs> don't like you know what i'm saying like don't try it it's just, right? just Oh my God! No, I don't. I don't because left-hand people have a balance of the right side as well too. That's the thing. But they still chose left-hand. But they're balanced at the same time. You see how it is? Because like, is that chaos energy? That chaos. Some of them are balanced because most right-hand people are still very left-hand unintentionally. That part too. (laughs) Um. But yeah. I think another artist that is really interesting now that we're on the subject of like diasporic traditions is first of all, Princess Nokia, because she's she comes out of Lukumi. Um, I know both Josh and I are Puerto Rican. So um Josh, you care to take the lead on Brujas? Um the <clears throat> can you guys hear me? Yeah. Can you hear me? Yeah, perfect. Um, I don't know. That song came around, came out like, like two, three years ago. Um, when I heard it, I I just felt like a connection to it because, um, I mean, like the what's that? Like the chorus. Um, what is it? I'm that Black Rican bruja straight up from the root. Like I felt like that was just something that like. You know, that's who I am. I was able to re- relate to that. I like, and hearing that song, I didn't know, like, I didn't know everything of what she was even talking about. I felt like, I felt like I should know, like, because it's like, like how you guys are just talking about, like, I kind of grew up, like, I don't want to say I was like whitewashed or whatever, but like, that was the first thing I went to with Wicca. Like, I, coming out of religion, the first thing that was just so mainstream for me to just, go and practice and learn about was like Wicca and um, like the white gods and stuff like that. That was everything. I didn't, and I mean, like I was always attracted to like Egyptian magic and stuff like that. Can you guys hear me still? I just want to make sure that I don't have to repeat myself. Hello? Yeah, um, you kind of like, it was good enough. You could just keep close. If you could just keep closer, you'll be fine. Yeah, sorry, I keep, it's because my headphones, the mic is, like, lower, it's, like, touching my stomach, almost, <laughs> okay. But, yeah, I um, hear you, though. Yeah, like, um, I forgot what I was saying. If Artemis was able to hear you, it's probably going to end up fine on the recording. I lost my train of thought. What was I, what was I saying? I honestly you're talking really about Brujas, how you connected to it. Because... Okay, that's what we're talking about. Um. Yeah, so that kind of was just like my, even my gateway even to even um, start researching the Orisha and um, just getting into that, my my journey to like, I, I feel like I've always, I don't, I, I've always just have been, I feel like I'm still young, I'm trying to, I've always been trying to find my path, even when I'm like, you know what, I discovered I, I was a witch and I claimed this for myself. Um, I claimed that that title and um, I just didn't, I just still felt like something was missing. And when, I don't know, that song just kind of was 
one of those, you know, synchronicities on my journey to like leading me to now, I don't know. Now I know that part of my path is to like, I don't know if I'm going to get into like Lukumi or Ifa or Voodoo or what, what it is. But I, I, I feel like I ju it's just one of those synchronicities that I had. Yeah. I'm, sorry, I'm, I'm honestly kind of weird now. <laughs> oh. um but yeah an important thing to mention is that the the path of worshiping orisha is not specifically confined to lukumi ifa or any of these traditions you can worship yeah. orisha where you are and at your means as long as you're respecting it and what these traditions give you that you cannot get on your own is a sense of understanding how to pray to the Orisha in a way that is respectable. Like a lot of people don't realize that Eshu is the first deity you're supposed to thank because Eshu is a crossroads. And before any yeah. work, you're supposed to give that thanks. And a lot of traditions like in Santeria, like, you'll just, you have to pray the Our Father prayer once and then 50 Hail Marys before you ask God to talk to a saint and before you pray to that saint. So realistically, you're just sitting at that altar for like two hours, an hour and a half, and you're building that connection. And one of the most disrespectful things I see from outsiders, from like really just blatantly white people who don't understand this, these traditions is they'll have these shrines, take care of it like it's a house plant and like kind of neglect the fuck out of it without even knowing the importance it is. Because once you find these traditions for the very first time, it's, it's life-changing you realize that your like your entire spirituality could be more than what you were taught um anyone want to weigh in that was like really heavy <laughs> <laughs> wait what did you I'm say <laughs> oh i was i was just going off about like how infuriating it is to watch outsiders, like specifically white people and white tourists, jump into um, jump into Ifa, Lukumi, Voodoo, Hoodoo, and stuff like that. Abby, that was I was actually heavier than I thought it was going to be. I was like, "Man, we going this heavy? This? Oh early. yeah, yeah. It. <laughs> this is episode three. I am not pulling any punches." <laughs> Okay, okay, okay. I felt that. I feel the same way when I see people buying elekis in New Age stores and not getting them by Babalos. Oh my God! When people don't get them blessed, like I like for, for one oh, one thing, I didn't get my first pair blessed because I just like I didn't understand that was a thing, and when and that's I, understandable. Yeah. And it's a shame. But the thing is that 
I'm seeing because this is cringeworthy, honey. I um I went to an um I was really good at this new age store. I love them, Avalon. You know my traditional witch days, baby. It was lit like a mofo. And around the time when I was actually in a um Centidia group circle for a little minute, um I was wearing mine underneath my shirt. I think that you're supposed to actually, and sometimes when you're out in public. And then I'm seeing these little white kids walking around with illickies, and I'm just like, what the? And I said, like, Mommy, I like the mermaid. I'm just like, and I'm seeing your mojo being manhandled. I'm just like, Lord. I had to walk out. <laughs> I had to walk out. I mean, I had to walk out. I was like, it's a shame because I had to walk out. Every other space, like every single space, a white person could just walk in take what they want and keep it pushing and we keep but it's like i remember a bible hmm? no you were saying oh i was saying no it's like i remember a bible <laughs> you first <laughs> <laughs> i was saying that um it it just sucks seeing them like take our traditions and then trivialize it so much and then think they're really just think they're better than us. Like the least amount of like the least you could do is give half a shit. <laughs> um, but you were you were gonna say what? <laughs> well, I was going to say, um, what was I gonna say? Shoot and the white family. And the mermaid oh yeah oh goddess oh yeah there was a, okay there was a, there's a lot of things i've taken out from being raised catholic i mean i practice hoodoo so the bible was still being heavily used <laughs> yeah. and i remember there was a verse i think it was daniel about like i mean he who does not know you know what i'm saying like the ignorance of it all and that's why ignorance is a monster and the only way to destroy that monster is with its virtue which i think is patience because in the end of the day, a lot of us have ancestral ignorance. And exactly as you called it out in your dialogue, it's like they do it, but they do it subconsciously because that's like, that's passed down, you know? And I'm just like, that's how I find patience with people in general. Because like I said, I had to walk out. I extracted myself from the situation. <laughs> I was like, he who does not know, man, but I say, God, clarify it for them, please. <laughs> I low-key, yet high-key, feed off of that turmoil. (laughs) (laughs) Like, my Aries ass is always ready to pop off. And I will forever just be on someone's ass about, like, hey, this isn't all right. You need to to fix it. (laughs) Um, But aside from me being stubborn... um, the one artist that I really connected to recently was Oshun. I found out about her, well, them. I found out about Oshun, the group, um, in around 2017. Um, basically, I came, to, I came into Arisha, like understanding who the Arisha were through my teacher who's passed, my late teacher, and I was looking up videos of the Orisha on YouTube and I find this group, Oshun, who they rap, they talk about spirituality. I show them music videos. Like, it's just, it's really just fascinating 
looking at how that has helped influence my spiritual journey a bit. Um, so one thing that I will say about Oshun is that the top three songs that I like are Ginyame, because I'm probably going to tag them. Like, I really hope they could hear this shit out and hear my little shout out to them. Genyame, um, Burn, let's see, Shango, Brown. Like, there's so many songs. Like, their SoundCloud discography, which is all free, by the way, is just filled with knowledge. They have a cover of A Tribe Called Quest song, which it's it's a whole other thing thinking about old school hip hop and how that relates to spirituality. You got Quest, you got MF Doom, you got like most of Wu-Tang, even though they're pretty dark about it. But Oshun and women rappers in general, they're like changing the game right now. And I feel like they're the young son unsung heroes and another shout out i will just give here that i didn't tell you guys is saba janga um the, she's also on instagram she took a break from rapping to raise her child and she is like her discography on soundcloud because apple music's kind of lacking it's amazing okay that being said let's go into the first media coverage we had and this is Artemis's um Artemis's pick as representation um to preface this episode I asked all of my guests to send me some of the representation of witchcraft they saw specifically black black witchcraft because a lot of the practitioners or a lot of the witchy vibes that we saw were of white women <laughs> and I think this next talk is very illuminating. So we'll start off with Ambrose Spellman and Artemis, do you want to speak to him? Ooh, don't get me started. You say speak to him. I would love to speak to Ambrose. Yes, y'all. <laughs> hello, everyone. <laughs> hello, 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 hello. We are going to be talking about Mr. Ambrose Spellman himself. Mr. I only host and only host on his grinder profile. Mr. Pansexual Warlock of the Century, y'all. Mr. Ambrose Spellman. Mm, what can I say about him? Um, <laughs> he is the representation of the majority of us Black warlocks or, or hoodoo practitioners or just occult practitioners of the Black male species, you know, who are all handsome flamboyant hold on <laughs> i finally get the i only host thing that took me a minute <laughs> i was like wait what how do you know? <laughs> oh my god wait, no, he's under permanent house arrest oh <laughs> exactly <laughs> he has no choice <laughs> oh my god that's sad <laughs> The savagery is real. I'm telling you, I can be a witch in that fucking universe. Dead ass. <laughs> I'd be the way too real one. <laughs> I love this energy. Okay, go off. 
But that's the thing. Ambrose is just that representation. And he would love that joke, deadass, because he's exactly what we represent. Like, what we are personally, like, we're, we, are, we are blunt. We are savage. We are charismatic with the savagery. We have sharp tongues, the majority of us, that represents this. The occult Black men, you know what I'm saying, who all have, like, this, like, walk of grace, peacock grace and libido. You know what I'm saying? With... Um, the correct amount of vocabulary that just makes the accent rolls out. That is the majority of a lot of good charismatic black occult practitioners that I know. I've been told that myself. So I'm just like, hey, shout out to myself. <laughs> but like, no, but. I think an interesting word there is appetitive, meaning that you fall into desire a lot. Yes. And they will call that like what um i'm going to my linguistic background um like the term devilishly handsome it's always falling around that category yeah the appetitive is tied to that those traits because it is um it is very much the devil card in tarot it is that desire mm-hmm. that danger oh that danger to a whole topic of fetishization <laughs> Oh my god. Yo, okay, next episode idea, just so you know. Um, <laughs> but yes, regarding Ambrose Spellman, a little bit about him in the background. He is a, if I remember correctly through the timeline, a 75-year-old warlock who has an affinity with the dead, necromancy, trickster magics. If you notice, actually, you guys, um, and we can go back to the Alicia's, um, Ambrose is a very issue type energy. Very issue. Because... I was just thinking, like, I need to give Eshu his own episode because, mm-hmm. like, I've already talked about Oshu, Yamaya, like, Oya. Like, Eshu needs, Eshu needed to be first. And <laughs> the fact that I'm still carrying this energy, it's a blessing. See, it sounds like he's already here with us. And, like, that's what I see in Ambrose because we all see his, like, devilish charm. But he, we also see, like, impish, like, glee. And that's very Oshun, especially when she's working with Sabrina. Sabrina being the representation of us, occultists in this generation, and just how we work with the crossroads spirit in whatever tradition you follow, be, be it Hecatean, be it Norwegian, Germanic, there are crossroads spirits in our cultures, you know? And so Sabrina, mind you, wearing the classic red and black most of the times, working with Cousin Ambrose, which issue in... Well, Papalek, but in my culture, in Haitian voodoo, he's like an uncle. You know what I'm saying? The uncle that catch your nose type nigga, right? And an issue, he has both the, um, the guise of a mischievous child and also a handsome man. And also, I think an old man too, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, so it's like, that's what Ambrose is, an old warlock with a lot of knowledge, but also childish as fuck. But at the same time, he's he's handsome 19-year-old, um, forever 19-year-old with his own love life and sexuality. So with Ambrose, he was taken in by Hilda after his father was killed by witch hunters. That was his story. And now he lives in the Spellman household, which is also a funeral home and mortuary. Um, spelled in the household for 75 years. Actually, no, not 75 years. He's been already trapped in there for 75 years because he tried to blow up the Vatican for some weird reason. And Ambrose, it's, it's funny because his character is mirrored after Salem from the sitcom who 
tried to take over the world in which the witches council was not having that so i think that's what ambrose came from because mind you it's upsetting but salem is not <laughs> in that um chilling netflix show but yes that's also because they had to first of all the riverdale writer as much as he cranked out some amazing seasons early on mm-hmm. he really burnt out yeah it it just got bad and i really wish he gave the i don't know sabrina deserved more of a chance Mm -hmm. and i feel like i feel like he's got way too much energy on riverdale yeah it was a great product overall Mm -hmm. like sabrina was supposed to be like okay riverdale died they're in college now like you (laughs) seven seasons of riverdale to get to a spinoff with josie and i think that's another thing about sabrina like the archetype of witchcraft for the past like let's say 30 40 years it's Mm -hmm. always been white and you see that a lot more in the Vampire Diaries, but we'll we'll stick to Sabrina for now. What they did right, and what I think a lot of practitioners of color see in that show. I think that- they were accurate on depicting, like, you know, having them be white, because technically that is European Eurocentric witchcraft. Like Sabrina- percent oh, when the show is about Sabrina. But right. <laughs> when it's about- Ambrose and Prudence and they're swept up in this greater white society and they in a sense more representation to us especially with the black girl magic category and with the black man magic category because we especially with you and me having um actually you me and Josh having um afro in our blood um we have been swept up by the Eurocentric image of witchcraft but then there is part three where they discovered the voodoo, the hoodoo with Mambo Maureen. They, because that's when I realized y'all didn't realize there's other forms of magic besides satanic. What the hell? What were y'all learning over there? It was mostly like, you know, seals, magician seals and everything. But I'm just like, y'all. And then that's where things, that's where we become less about the traditional past and more eclectic. Because at the end of that season three or part three, Ambrose and Prudence are still using their traditional witch powers, but then they also start using a little voodoo and hoodoo, not that, you know, uh, uh, Mamba Marie is not the new auntie, you feel me? Spoiler alert. But, so yeah, they totally represent us. It's interesting you bring that up too, because that's something I can speak to and Josh mentioned briefly earlier. Um, I grew up in a very whitewashed area. So, it's just, it was just really interesting. Well, so you can relate because that town Greentown yeah. is predominantly white. So yeah, the, the and other people as black as Roz and the pastor. The very the first father. form of magic I learned was Wicca. <laughs> like I picked up a book that one of my friends was reading in class and she lent it to me. And ever since, I've just been down this road of exploration. And it's, I think it's a very vivid view of what it's like growing up Black in America, because our families demonize this stuff. And it isn't until you get to more understanding white, well, not 
not white families, but white spaces or even spaces of color that are more understanding because botanicas are always safe spaces. Like I never realized how many botanicas I grew up around until literally this year. <laughs> but it's just amazing getting, getting to find that safe space, that safe space where you could go and you know you won't be turned away or you won't end up hating the people at the end. Because <laughs> let's face it, a lot of people who do end up having racial bias have shit opinions. Another which we were going to talk about was Vincent Griffith from the originals. Um, Vincent is the head of the, do you know the common name Artemis? Or it, it's just like the main. It's the Treme. It is. He's a member of the Treme coven. Yeah. But he ended up becoming the head of the witches. I, I forgot. Yeah. Um, the region of all nine covens because there's nine yeah. covens in New Orleans and in that universe. Words, so. Yeah. So I actually, while the originals was airing, I actually lived in New Orleans, which was interesting. Um, I was learning Ifa at the same time too and starting to worship my ancestors. So that show was very, like as, uh, as a young witch going into an older witch, not necessarily towards that elder role, but somewhere near there, not near there, but like, not young, not old, but in a liminal space. Like, it was, it was really impactful seeing that representation. And I didn't realize it until Artemis started speaking to it in the group chat. Um, oh, yeah. Shout out to the small Haitian representation they got in that first season. Even though Homeboy did get his throat sliced, I was like, hey, but he introduced and that's when I knew Julie Pleck was playing with the names. They were, she was hiding it because they introduced sacrificial magic. And sacrificial magic, too, in that universe was like just basic, you know, Haitian voodoo offering between the gods. And in exchange to that is more power. And I'm just like, damn, Julie Pleck, who are you, who are you studying from? You're just taking all our secrets out of the world like that? The fuck? I think it was... I mean, I can't speak to who the author is and what she's learned, but I think it was a really well done form of representation compared to the it really was. Fire Diaries. Because, like, let's face it, a lark's a mess. <laughs> like, in real life, I can't believe his political views are so shitty. He was. <laughs> you gave me. We're not going to talk about it. We don't talk about it. <laughs> No, you gave me wholesome. You gave me America's distraught dad. <laughs> like, I mean, actors are, that's how you know he's a great actor. You can't lie. The fact that he's going to be, he dressed himself as this right wing Democratic father who saves the world and fight vampires. I mean, and the only determination. <laughs> Listen, that's how you know he's a great actor. You got to give him props on that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I can't believe he was on the same show. Wait, were there gay characters in the Vampire Diaries? Zero. <laughs> we don't talk about... Okay, so Melissa Joan Hart is a literal, like, high-core Christian, and she played a witch for the majority of our childhood. Um, they're actors like this. <laughs> you know Cole Michelson? He's yeah. a devout Jesus lover. What about Elijah? I think he's... I don't, 
Elijah has a good heart. I don't, I don't think he cares. Uh, like, I think he's like, what, um, those people are, I believe in God, but I don't go to church and kind of stuff, you know. Yeah, I follow he just, his Instagram and Twitter. He's definitely BLM, but. <laughs> right, no, he's he's all about, like, really saving lives. I do, I used to follow his Instagram, and it was all, like, charities he, um, he worked for. He works well with Phoebe Talkin, um, regarding, like, those, um, starving food donations and charities and everything. Yeah. yeah, so him and Joseph Morgan work really hard in those charities, so they're really small people. Oh, okay, that's good to know. Oh, yeah, I stalk these people, I'm telling you. <laughs> I mean, when you get into a celebrity as far as, like, the role they play and what they serve, like, you want to support them in other roles. Mm-hmm. And, um... So to avoid talking about the white folk in the Vampire Diaries, to get back to Vincent, I think what was interesting is that, did you mention this where he had repercussions for talking to the, uh, for helping the vampires? I don't think I spoke about that. Or who was the one that had repercussions? Or someone kept warning them about how, oh, was it Bonnie? Well, Bonnie stopped fucking with vampires after her grandmother died. Um, yeah, but then she started fucking with them again because she's weak. <laughs> well, specifically with the saboteurs. You know, there's something about those white boys. <laughs> Shit, it got me hot and heavy. But I think it was Vincent because he was the type where I stay in your lane, you stay in I lane. And if you think about it, it's also a racist element as well, too. The white folks still versus the black folks because the witches were predominantly black, unless you were in the French Quarter Coven. But Vincent was the wolves were poor too, which was that was a lot to take in. (laughs) Right, it was. So I was like, Vincent was a like I don't fuck with vampires, but they do what they do. I do what I do. But then again, he did. I think no, I take that back. I think he hated them because he did live around the time when Marcel was ruling the quarter. Yeah. I mean, I think they had, that was after they had put Klaus underground for a few years, right? No, there's a time when he got pregnant with the son, with Eva, remember, in the past? I'm trying to remember this. There was, it was season four where they had to deal with the hollow. And her, his wife at the time, Eva Sinclair, who was oh. played out... Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then she was she lost her baby due to the black magic she sacrificed to yeah and make him this yeah. evil bitch which honestly the actress gorgeous I just find it so funny and I mentioned this before how they just made Rebecca black for a whole season and no Can one talk about that for like a split second <laughs> right <laughs> like, can I just post oh, about okay. this? Y'all, you gonna talk about making her black? Like, <laughs> <laughs> like, I said it to myself. Like, if I was Norwegian and by birth for a thousand years ago, and I became black, the first thing my like your ass gonna try is to start to say the n word. But <laughs> especially after a couple thousand years, like I'm having a hard time believing the Salvatore brothers aren't a little bit racist. Damon fought for the conservative side. He admitted this in season eight. He wasn't proud about it, but that was his time. He grew, growth. You feel me? No Gross. wonder Bonnie hated him. 
Listen, it was ancestral. She said, I know you don't like niggas. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I don't like you. (laughs) Bruh, like, it's so wild how we get spoon-fed conservative vampires and the romanticization of that. But we miss out on the real black witches of the time. Are we not going to talk about how Emily Bennett was a servant to a white girl? Come on now. The most powerful witch for the first two seasons was a servant. I mean, something else is you actually told me that Harriet Tubman was a seer. And this is something I didn't know in like a lot, like five years of going to an HBCU because I'm a little bit of a hambo. You're correct. I learned this from some of the Southern Voodoo practitioners I um, came across during my years of, you know, practicing and searching for myself. And they mentioned about how, they mentioned that um, our Black history heroes can be used in candle Hoodoo work as saints. Because in the end of the day, and I read about this too in my studies about the power and practice of unofficial saints, the saints personal to you, Martin Luther King, Oh. Um, Rosa Parks um, and even Harriet Tubman are worked as saints representing freedom, power, ambition, um, stubbornness, courage. And then that's where I, I think it was Papa Ken. I swear to you, I don't know if you follow him. I think it was Papa Ken. But one of them mentioned about how, um, no, oh, I think it was the witch doctor on Twitter. Uh, one of them mentioned about how Harriet Tubman was actually a prophet and they told us like lost history that was not mentioned in the books, of course that said about how Harriet Tubman had dreams that she was going to lead people to freedom. She didn't know how, but she knew her time would come when God tells her. And that's straight voodoo. Something, something was that. I, I actually never told anyone this, and I wasn't planning on it. But during the election, I was like, fuck it. St. Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Because she... As problematic as she was to the native native community, um, <clears throat> she did a lot, and I like I just snapped into like practicing like that ever since, and I just started thinking about like okay, if I were making an unofficial pantheon, who would they be? And I've actually been working my way up to that energy, so it's cool that you mentioned that shit. <laughs> um. But now that we got to this point, let's just unpack the whole Black Mammy archetype and, like, the role Bonnie Bennett played with the Salvatores, especially. And then how that translates into characters like Morgan Freeman and Samuel Jackson versus the wise Black elder archetype. And we see this a lot in characters like Samuel Jackson or portrayals of Harriet Tubman, where a wise old black person is giving the white person in the story all this valuable information. And I brought this up because I think it's, it's very important to these discussions because of the fact that we are... And when we enter white spaces, we're looked at as either a threat or the one with all the answers. (laughs) And it's really interesting seeing that play out, especially in media. I mean, you have Bonnie Bennett, for one, 
who Bonnie Bennett, she is constantly told throughout the series, you will lose connection to your ancestors if you deal with these vampires any longer. And she keeps fucking with these vampires. Like, God, I get it. Damon's hot or something. But, like, he was a Confederate soldier. We could cancel him, Bonnie. <laughs> um, but, Artemis, you had more articulate thoughts on Bonnie and her role with the white characters around her? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Let me just <sighs> take a breath. Because, yo, they did my girl. They did my girl in the show. No girls because they she she went through the most trauma, the most trauma, and she has changed. Her growth was interestingly spectacular because it was raw. From dying three times, from having her mom die, from watching her dad get his throat slit while she was already dead from the other side, then only to come back to life with still the memory of how her dad died, from going to hell and back, losing her magic several times. Like, but she, and it was at season eight when I realized this girl had enough. <laughs> this girl had enough. season eight that I realized that all of this shit, like when she ended up in that Gemini coven world, I was like, all of this shit is because of Damon. <laughs> and you stay with them but here humans are social creatures so we in a dimension like that she had no choice but to talk to him because we're wired to be social yeah that's but why it's a hell her stayed in something that toxic it was either damon or kai pick which toxic was that going to because that was the 90s white boy he's <laughs> <was the> <laughs> racist oh, and or, or fetishizing black girls because he had a crush on bonnie I mean, you couldn't even get away with talking to him about, like, up-to-date references. At least Damon's from your time. Kai's <laughs> from the 90s. <laughs> Ooh, that was a throwback seeing those outfits on Kai. I was like, damn, they really, those are boys really dressed like that on the 90s. The Skechers. But anyways, um, <laughs> but with the Black Mommy archetype being in Bonnie Bennett, I knew by season four when Klaus threatened her to unbind the magic that Esther did on them um, to, to, um, to destroy them later on that season. No, it was season three. When she was crying after Klaus threatened her mom, she was through. She hung up. She was through. That part of her snapped. That's when she started trekking into dark magic. And that shows in the Black Miami um, archetype that they're human too. They have emotions too. And at some point, they will go off. They will snap. You know? And that's where the angry Black girl started suddenly took seed, you know? Because when she came in and when she looked at Klaus's body incapacitated and she was about to like really stab that motherfucker, but she said, I can't because the Cyrobon with the um with Damon and all that shit, because they realized they're all connected, and just shamelessly use dark magic and switch their souls out because Alaric was possessed by original witch magic to kill Klaus. I was like, damn, you're really wild enough here putting the soul of a murderous vampire into your old school friend. That's how I knew she snapped. I Black mammies, they have enough. I think what's funny with that is that Bonnie... Wait, you were talking about the Cyberbond killing 
trying to kill Klaus. It was that about- it was that season four mess when Alaric became an original vampire for like three yeah. episodes. Oh, I think it's funny how all of Bonnie's developments are in relation to the white folk around her. Like, there was no Vincent Griffiths uniting the covens because, like, we didn't have that at that time. We had representation like um, Tara in True Blood, who was the Black best friend who's always there, but not enough to be considered a main character. And it's weird because Bonnie's still even seen as a background character, low-key, because she's not in every episode. Yeah, and she died. She straight, like, we're, we're going to pretend like she didn't just be stay in a coffin because of Elena's ass? <laughs> There's always that. She died three times. That's traumatizing. I would need therapy after the first time. I think it's just, and after losing your magic, after not being able to do all this cool shit because you are the tether between worlds, like the- Only to feel the pain of every supernatural creature. Remember she said casually, a whole coven of witches came through me and I couldn't study for the exam. I was like, bitch, I would have left college. What what do you mean? Right? traumatizing. Are (laughs) you still studying for exams? Are you, um, no, no. And every creature, like, we're not acting like Klaus don't make enemies on the daily. <laughs> Mind you, when you're a supernatural being, only witches die of old age. Vampires and werewolves, they would die on a slaughter. And it's interesting to trace the Vampire Diaries legacy. And Legacies is the next series. <laughs> oh my god, Legacies is fire. Hey y'all, I have to edit in post because, um, yeah, I lost the end of that conversation. We kind of went on for a while after the talk, too. Um, and I think this episode kind of wraps up pretty nicely. Um, we covered a lot of stuff music, media, and how those representations translate into real life practitioners and real life practices. Um, I think my final thoughts will be that no matter where we are, we're constantly looking for a media proxy or someone relating to us. And it's really interesting to see the development of these characters over the years. We started out talking about like Ambrose, but really like if you look at early 2000s, Bonnie Bennett and Tara from True Blood are, like, titular black mammy archetypes. And you see that develop into these characters like Ambrose Spellman and Prudence, who are more, like, they have more character development. Um, It's really going to be interesting seeing how this develops. I know I mentioned Legacies briefly. Um, That series has a lot of diverse characters. It just so happens to have, like, a lot more black vampires than um, than the Vampire Diaries did. And it's the new iteration. This new generation of occultists coming up, they're going to be bringing with them all these ideas of unity. This podcast, even though, I, even though we talk a lot of shit, it's, at the end of the day, meant to be a place for us to talk about these often neglected spiritual conversations. I don't want anyone listening to feel like I'm shitting on them. 
but I also will not coddle the white ego for shit. Um, but yeah, I think that anyone who's here for the conversation will see the nuance in what I'm saying. And also give Artemis a shout out at the.hoodoo.mermaid or look at Josh's page at Morningstar Mystic. They're both really cool practitioners. Um, Josh is into a lot of dance too. He left a little earlier, but I am planning more collabs with these two in the future. So you'll be seeing a lot more of them. Anyway, if you made it this far, thank you so much. Um, yeah, and I'm going to try and be developing my content from here. That episode was pre-recorded in December. This is now February. So, yeah, looking forward to showing you guys all the amazing stuff I have coming up. Thank you very much. And also check out Mystica Magike because I got featured in their magazine that is coming out, I think, today, actually. Hi, everyone. Thank you for coming to the Glass for Minutes podcast. Um, today, I'm joined by my friends Liz and Joshua, and we're going to be talking about the borderline between identity and occultism. Um, occultism meaning philosophy, theology, and spirituality as a whole. Um, and I'll start off by letting my guests introduce themselves. What's up, I'm Joshua? I'm 24 years old. And I am not really religious. I am an eclectic practitioner of my own design. So that's me. <laughs> okay, so hey y'all, I am Liz. I am 23 years old and I was raised Christian, but I have an interest in multiple different philosophies and practices. So I kind of combine them all together and have just been walking through in like a very not even I wouldn't even call it original path, but a very individual individual path of my own. <laughs> uh, I, I feel like that's the thing too. A lot of our paths are individual, but we have the same background being like practitioners of color. Like we all come from these very deeply Abrahamic beliefs. And even from those of us who don't, we do use a lot of like the Bible, the Quran, and Christian, Islamic, and Jewish figures in our occultism. And I'm using the phrase occultism once again, just to just to denote a difference between devotional spirituality and passive, I'm just going to light sage because I want to spirituality. <laughs> awesome. Like an umbrella term in, in yeah. a sense. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, for myself, I have a background within the Golden Dawn, which is a Kabbalistic group. Um, I haven't necessarily practiced with them up until recently. And even then, I'm still like in the very beginning stages of forming a relationship. But it's, 
I've studied a lot of their texts, and I've also on the side studied Ifa, which is the roots to voodoo, santeria, and belief systems like that. Right. Yeah. Um, but I come from a Christian background primarily. My dad's Christian. My dad's side of the family is Christian. But a lot of them do have roots in Santeria. And my mom's side, they're from Louisiana. They have a lot of roots within like the voodoo slash spiritual, African spiritualist like church. Um, Josh, you care to mention some stuff about your family? Okay, I knew. Um, okay, so my family background mostly comes from uh, Christian and uh, Islamic. So I feel like religion kind of, um, when it was forced upon me, I just, I felt like I kind of rejected it. But as I grew up, um, I looked back at it um, and I felt like when when I was able to just take that step for myself, I was able to, you know, um, I was looking for structure, um, but I also wanted freedom and wanted to be able to explore other things. So I felt like, you know, I don't know. Um, I, 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 I still use Islamic, um, is, Islamic practices. I still, um, I still, I still, I still refer, I still refer to um, religion for certain things because um, a part of me does um, want some structure. Um, but yeah, I want to get into like Ifa and um, or Lukumi, but I'm still researching and you know. I feel like that's also very important. The idea of taking your time with your path, and I think something we all have in common is feeling as if we don't necessarily have to subscribe to anything the people around us put on us. Yeah. Like I felt like religion was really pushed on me as a child. So that kind of forced me in the beginning to look at religion in a bad light. Um, when in reality it was like my family's like personal agenda and what they were trying to project on me. And, um, but I mean, there's still things that I, that I personally don't agree with, but you don't have to agree with everything. I feel like your spirituality is your own personal path. As I, as I, as I grew up, I started to just understand that like, you know, it's, this is my path. It's, I, I'm able to control it. Like when I die, when I die, I'm the one that's going to have to, I mean, whatever you believe in, I, when I die, I'm going to have to face the creator or whatever it is. So. Yeah, I think. I think the way I rationalize a lot of this stuff is a, regardless of what I believe, there's tons of people in my family who really take this faith seriously. And at the very least, I owe it to myself to understand them a little more and connect with them. Um, Liz, any thoughts on that? Yeah, so 100%. I. I agree because my story is like kind of, I guess, a little different from y'all's. So um, I lived with just my dad growing up and my mother's side of the family is extremely Christian. My dad is a Christian, but you know, like that Easter Christmas kind of Christian, like, 
you know, you go when you feel like it. But I've gone to Catholic school my entire life, literally from when I entered school to graduating from a Catholic university. So I've always been in a religious structured something. And my dad allowed me to choose between being Baptist, which is what he is, um, and being Catholic. So I've all, I've never felt confinement in my soul for religion. And when I was in sixth grade, I had a teacher named Mrs. Hoffmeyer, God rest her soul. And she was, we started learning about like Greek mythology and Roman mythology and ancient Samaria and like Mesopotamia. And like, I got really intrigued in what those people believed to the point where I took it upon myself to look up Sikhism and Islam and Judaism and Buddhism and Hinduism. And I had so many friends just around the world in general who practiced these religions. And so I was able to talk to them about what they believed. Like even so like when I went to Xavier, remember Cameron, like we used to go to the SGI Buddhism temple. Yeah. And like, not and I was more so like interested in like what do you believe how can I connect this to what I believe where are we similar because I feel like a lot of people don't understand like how I view religion is kind of like um every soul has its path and naturally as humans we seek identity and we seek people and community who are on that same path and that's kind of where I think the origins of religion come but they're all interconnected and they're all intertwined. Um, and they have a lot of similar stories, a lot of similar messages, a lot of similar, a lot of things. And when you really delve into those topics and those religions, et cetera, et cetera, it really allows you to be more empathetic with people and notice those similarities and say like, hey, like I actually understand why you would say this then the third because your belief system is this then the third. And where we can connect is X, Y, and Z. You know what I mean? So yeah, I like completely agree. A thing that that SGI point reminded me of, which I think is good to mention in this section on religion or in this the thing that drew me to it initially was the concept of the ten worlds, which is mm-hmm. in a lot of Buddhist beliefs, but it's also deeply and inherently Kabbalistic. And as you look at Kabbalah, there are 10 worlds to existence. And you could just break down every archetype into one of those 10 planes of existence. And whether it's like on a large scale or a smaller scale, it still exists within everything, including our own like scriptures, our every religious belief. And the core tenant of Kabbalah is invoking names of the creator God to mm-hmm. use in magical ritual. And this is something that a lot of people in Hoodoo beliefs do. A lot of people in Santeria, Ifa, and like really anytime you're invoking a God, you're invoking an archetype that's part of the creator. Right. Catholicism and saints. Yeah. If we really want to take it there, which is a, Delvation of Santeria. Yeah, and also when we're talking about the Baptist church, it's a descendant of the African spiritual church. Speaking in tongues. 
yeah. catching the Holy Ghost. <laughs> I mean, come on. It's also interesting when you think about Islam too and the names of God, which Joshua actually sent me a link on. I was I was introduced to that um, from my family um, because they felt like I don't know. I, the way I was approached was that like you know God has God is everything, so he has he so he has all these different names you can call him by. Um, I don't know, growing up, I, I, I never really liked, um, I cut, it was always try, hard for me to pinpoint what I wanted to like call God or whatever, or whether it was a man or a woman or certain names or whatever, because I felt like if God is everything, if God created everything, um, then like, why would, why does the Bible, why does the Quran refer to him as a, well, yeah, him, why is it a him? Um, if, if anything, I, I, I just always went to like, you know, like women create things and um, women create things, women, women give birth, like wouldn't there be a goddess? Like, is there a goddess? Is, is it both? Um, and that would collide with my family's religious views. So. Um, I mean, I don't know. I'm sorry. Mm. That was good. And yeah, I, I was literally thinking the same thing when you started like using the he pronouns for God. I was like, oh, this is like a great like conversation to have. And interestingly enough, like when I was talking to my Islamic friends, they were talking about the idea of a genderless God because Allah in that sense is above human comprehension, is above human gender, is above the ideology of such. And I think even in the Bible, it mentions God as mother, I think just once, just once, but often it's father, father, our father, you know, Abba father, all that kind of stuff. I think it really, helps to invoke the sense of patriarchy. But when we talk about God, the creator, the almighty, the alpha, the omega, I really think that it's, we cannot confine God to our own understanding, our human understanding, because it's leaps and bounds bigger than that. It's literally the incomprehensible because if you could comprehend God, then you would be God but we are just a part of that infinite whole. I'm actually yeah. wearing a sweater that says, I met God, she's black. Um, I, I've been wearing it for the past couple of years to piss off <laughs> really conservative people. And it works most of the time, especially in grocery stores. I break some necks in grocery stores. <laughs> like imagine this with a Biden-Harris or Black Lives Matter mask. Like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah like uh, something that my mom my my mom taught my mom taught me a lot but like she always she told me a story i don't know if one of you guys know the story or which prophet it was but um this particular prophet asked god to like show his face to him and god said something along the lines of like you you wouldn't be able to handle like my face you wouldn't be able to yes. handle me. And he, he said, I'm going to show my face to the mountain and the mountain crumbled into dust because 
we we cannot we can't comprehend the the mountain mm -hmm. couldn't take it something i started doing within the past year has been rewording christian scriptures into the feminine so like our mother who art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come there will be or um like i'll even transpose like kabbalistic words into it because malkut is hebrew for kingdom but it's also a sphere in kabbalah so i'll be mm -hmm. like um thy malkut be done and i'll just use different words or different god names instead of genders in places where there are heavily gendered words mm -hmm. and lately i've just been using creator anyway because it's the most neutral term you could use yeah so like ooh, what you just said made me think again of like i guess my natural roots in this case would be catholicism and the virgin mary and how highly esteemed she is but she's still but a woman but she's the mother of god and we pray hail mary for the grace the lord is with thee however it is it should not be remiss i think that's the wrong word but it should not be forgotten upon people that without mary christ who is fully god and fully man came from and had to come from mary and mary had to consent to god to even carry christ which to me makes it even more so that in some case like even though people didn't want to put mary on the esteem and close to god there has to be some sort of there even in the tarot there's the empress and the emperor there's the divine feminine the divine masculine there's the yin there's the yang there's that natural balance that must occur so if there is God in male form, there must be God in woman form, if we are all the images of God. Well, I think Santeria, Lukumi, and a lot of those traditions tend to fill in a few of the gaps. Like mm -hmm. Santa Muerte, she is depicted as a little girl a lot of the time. And she is like, she's a saint that rules over death. And mm -hmm. she's like vitally important. Like her power is over every living, every living thing, and nothing can escape it. And it's just, it's beautiful having a connection with her because you, you could really appreciate the protection and joy and even harmony that life can have. Yes. I also would like to say that. Um, Vir the Virgin Mary, Saint Mary, she is, um, she's the ultimate divine feminine receptive symbol. And a lot of her depictions, like she is very much vaginal in a, in a sense. Mm -hmm. And I think that was, to some extent, a way of women getting their voice out there. Like, because back in those days, unfortunately, humanity was very like very masculine dominated <laughs> and that's like a lot of the problem with the world at least in the western civilization especially rome on even ancient greece had even more reverence for women but once we stopped looking toward balance and there was a hyper masculization 
of just like the Western world in general is when we see like all these wars, all these things that kind of like manifest from that out of balanceness. I don't know if I'm explaining what I'm thinking properly, oh, but hope, yeah, spot on. Hope, yeah, I hope like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, as far as that point goes, it makes sense when you're, when you're really asserting your willpower as opposed to receiving and interpreting, yes. you're going to be off balance and affect everything around you. And I think it's wonderful that I didn't see a space like this and I'm trying to create a space like this now because uh, our generation really didn't have that many people to connect to as far as these types of views goes like mm -hmm. <laughs> fuck talking about witchcraft around my any of my grandparents growing up <laughs> like yeah but, even now yeah I, re I even remember the other day while i was visiting my grandma i took my leques off and i left them in the car because i'm not gonna like go to her house and disrespect her like but I, I didn't also question, like, is it disrespectful to be who you are? I, I was thinking that, too. And I think, I think the way my family sees it is a lot of our ancestors have fucked up. And mm -hmm. they really just use this stuff to, call, like, throw things way out of balance with themselves, with other people and everyone's a born-again christian now like my dad was the last practitioner and he converted to christianity when i was 12. Mm -hmm. so i grew up seeing him go from not interacting with me to being a born-again christian wanting to start a relationship with me <laughs> and actually like and actually finding god through that and for a few years i ran away because like the church is pretty fucked up towards people like us. <laughs> yeah. And sorry, what were you saying? I didn't want to cut you off. Oh, no worries. It, that was kind of my point. I figured you were going to cut in there. <laughs> yeah. So, because it, it like brought me to something like, I'm thinking a lot of people are delving into Christianity, it seems, out of fear. People are afraid it's the end times. People... And people want an answer, like, I just want to make it to heaven. I just want to do this. I just want to do that. And, and, and that's scary in a sense because we are going away from what we naturally are. I was talking to my Aulita earlier, um, like, a couple months ago. And she was saying, like, you know, I used to do witchcraft and I used to do astrology and I used to, you know, do this, that, and the third and go through herbs and stuff like that. That's where I got my knowledge of herbs from that's where my mother got her knowledge of herbs from from her but she said but i just felt like god didn't want me to do that anymore and so i stopped and my thing was like would god stop you from your purpose like or did your fear stop you from your purpose did fear of what the bible said which frankly has been manipulated to fit specific agendas, did your fear of that and what is supposedly the word of God tell you to do that? Or 
did you feel that in your spirit? And I think we need to really, really stop and consider that. Are we doing it out of fear or are we doing it out of authenticity? I I actually can connect there. Um, one of, first of all, my stepmom, my dad, and they all practice. And as soon as I started talking to them again about like me actually practicing, this is after five years after I went to Xavier, after I met you, Liz. And oh, and for anyone who's listening right now, um, Liz and I went to the same school, um, still do, but COVID. <laughs> and um, anyway, as I developed down this path, I found more language to put to it, and I was able to tell my family. But even to the extent that, like, I know my grandparents, they at the very least don't necessarily have positive views on it they always think people are going to use it for something selfish and um i'll end with this and i'll pass it off to joshua if he wants to chime in um my friend mo said that fear of god to fear god and to worship god out of fear is to have the love of a slave you said have to have a love of a slave you said yeah, but um, the whole concept was on worshiping God out of a place of fear and tradition and not being authentic to your family. Yeah, like when my mom, my mom was always like trying to find God and like I looked up to my mom a lot. So I was kind of always there with her, but um, I, a lot of it was out of fear. Like she wanted to be saved. She wanted to go to church and she, she, was, she was going to church and she was, I felt like when she was going through her to her like through her conversion and trying to get us to do it too a lot of it was like you know like we're gonna die one day and um i don't know i don't want to like shift into like another topic but like um i feel like what what she projected to me a lot was like i i grew up i don't know i don't um i was not the most masculine guy and my mom would always ask me if i wanted to be a girl or something like that and she would kind of refer to the Bible and things like that. And I, I kind of felt attacked at certain points because I was just like, you know, um, I, forgot where it was, I don't remember the Bible story, but it was talking about how um, if you see two men lie together, you're, I don't know what it was, but it was very gruesome. And I was, I was like, why this? So I'm supposed to, I, I can't be my authentic self because because of what? Like it, just, it, 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 makes, it, 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 didn't, it didn't make sense to me. Um, so, and I rebelled a lot from that because I wanted, I, I felt like in my heart, what, what God was telling me at least, cause I felt like as a, at a, as a, at a young age, I was always very, I felt like I, I was always really rebellious because I had a strong intuition telling me like, you know, this isn't, this isn't right. So I always just did what I wanted. Like I dressed how I wanted, talked how I wanted. And um, no matter, no matter, no matter where I was, I mean, I wasn't a bad kid, but like, I was more of like on the feminine side and um, I didn't feel like God was going to like strike me down because, because I was feminine or anything like that. I didn't even feel like femininity is something that was an issue. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Like there's... I think a cultural concept that fits in there is the masculinization of black women. We see it a lot of the times with people like Serena Williams, 
and the feminization of black men as like colonial like mechanisms. <laughs> mm-hmm. Especially darker skinned black women and lighter skinned males. Like, but that also comes a lot from slavery. At the end of the day, darker skinned black women were on the field, lighter skinned black men were typically not on the field, not doing strenuous labor, not, not, you know, they weren't seen as, you know, quote unquote, real men because they weren't doing a lot of the tasks, laborious tasks that the darker skinned slaves had to do. And we see that in the hyper-masculization of black women, like you said, we see that in the hyper-feminization of lighter skinned black men. And it's really sad that we're still taking on, like, like you said, that slave mentality. Sorry, I was muted. Um, I think another layer to all of this is the fact that Ready to have more chats like this. <laughs> oh, I want to do, do chats like this a lot. Um, the next one that I started talking to you about, Liz, was Oya and Change. Mm-hmm. Um, I still haven't done the Oshun and Colorism one. So, like, feel free to jump on to that. And Josh said he's go- he had to go real quick. Um, okay, yeah, I'm, d- I'm down for both. It's funny that you had mentioned Oya when you did, though, because she had, like, Oshun and Oya have been coming to me in dreams. Oh, especially same. yeah, and I had been thinking about Oya a lot recently. So it was so crazy that you had mentioned her because I was like, oh wow, like y'all y'all want to talk. And then bees literally have been following me and landing around me, and I'm like, all right, Oshun, I see you. <laughs> I see been, you, girl. I've been petitioning them for Brianna Taylor. Mm. Yeah. God rest her soul. Right. I mean, that's the thing. Like, Oshun represents an aspect of female justice. She fought her way to the rank of Orisha. And Oya represents an aspect of change. But to get back to our conversation on slavery, and I guess as a good segue, someone named Hoodoo Mermaid, um, he, like, I asked them, uh, like, a bunch of questions moving up to this talk because I want to type up, like, a whole paper on this subject. But they mentioned that, they mentioned that Harriet Tubman was a seer. And this was after I asked them what influences in media, in, like, led you to your practice and were any black. So I open that question up to you. Like, what were some influences? Who were some Black occultists or some Black magicians or seers that you could recognize? Um, honestly, no one famous. But on my father's side, his grandmother actually was a seer, was a reader. And she, it, it's, she was like the second best on the island of Jamaica at one point. She was under someone like who was the best and right underneath it was her. And so I think on both sides and even my birth charts is like, oh, you come from a line of witches. And I was like, ha ha ha. And then turns out like, oh God, that's true. Um, But I honestly, it was nothing but my mere like interest. I just wanted to know, I wanted to know what did black Africans think? I, 
I wanted to know like, okay, I'm Cuban, I'm Jamaican. I know Santeria is Catholicism. It's also has African roots. Like what's the deal with that? Like it was nothing but pure interest. I don't think I had any influence now. Now that I know Beyonce is out here. Rapping out soon, I'm like, oh my goodness, like, but you know, we should have known because Solange and yeah. that's Yamaya's daughter. Oh, I'm a Yamaya, <laughs> and I am that. I'm a little bit on that level of elevator salon psycho. <laughs> yeah, so I'm like, I'm like, I'm I, I should, we should have known, duh. But um, yeah. and once I started like getting interested in African spirituality the craziest things started happening like I've always been a dreamer my dreams are very prophetic in nature um and when I started like researching I was like I wonder who was on my head and the same day oddly enough I was like I wonder if it's Oshun I wonder if it's oh yeah I wonder if, if it's Bawa and no it's Papalegwa uh, oh my god that that makes sense that's a vibe that's, that's for I, sure a vibe i get along with the leg was <laughs> um it's, it's my jimmy venus yeah definitely it's definitely like mercury placements in general mm-hmm. so we I talk think, i think another influence that's important to note here is fnf botanica because that, that was definitely a changing point for me as a pra- practitioner. And I had Dr. Robinson at Xavier, and she recommended I go, I went there freshman year, and it literally changed my life. Like, I don't wow. think I would stay at Xavier without them. Wow. I, have, like, I don't even think I've heard of them. Oh, um, so the owners died in 2018. It was that place on South Broad. The candle oh. shop. Oh, it was it was such a wonderful spot, and they introduced me to the practitioners I study Efa under now. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but they're responsible for everything I know. I know how to dress candles for from them. I have books on Kabbalah, the saints, the names of God, and all this stuff from them, and I just like. I really just can't thank them enough for all the guidance they've given me. Wow. um, Another thing to note in this media influence talk is like, and before we wrap up is seeing like figures like Sabrina, the teenage witch contrasted against like Raven Simone and Mm -hmm. figures like that. Cause I feel like we have a lot of charms and Sabrina's, but we don't have a lot of Raven. And even mm-hmm. when doesn't like being Raven. Mm-hmm. And it's so interesting because at the end of the day, I mean, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to just say like, you know, it all spawned from Africa and that was us. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I mean, you know, side-eye winky face. But... <laughs> I mean, but, ooh, you go. Okay, I was like, you go, you go. We're like the Spider-Man meme. <laughs> but um, I'm thinking, because even like the Druids, and, and we had the Harry Potters, and we had the Wings Club, and we had, you know, you're right, all of these different 
like I feel like we were like low-key pre-programmed to come to to come to this realization like they were really preparing people like us to to wake up come back into consciousness I mean ancestors speak through dreams dreams leak out into our everyday reality like mm-hmm. our, our quote-unquote imagination yeah just because people aren't aware of it doesn't mean it doesn't exist somewhere yeah even to that point there are poppets there are different sachets like those are two very pagan things in europe that mirror african grigri bags and voodoo dolls. i mean well no offense. also like i think it um it was alexander the great was like besties with like Cleopatra or something like, like something of that regard. And it was the Egyptians who helped ancient Greek develop their, you know, system. Oh, think about, yeah. And so it's like Athena throughout Greece. Literally. So it's like, it's like at the end of the day, like, it's odd we don't see the ravens. It's odd we don't, well, and that's really the only one I can name. <laughs> you know, like, it's, it's odd, and, and that's a problem that that's, it's, the original source is so sparse. But I don't want to call it, I don't, I don't want to say anything smug. Because it works in both ways, and I think the thing that's distinct about African tradition in general is we have the added cultural aspect to it. And a lot of the outsiders coming into our tradition don't have the mean, like the knowledge necessary to respect that we have spells to help candidates win elections. And we have spells to stop oppression. Because those Psalms, at the end of the day, came out of a place of oppression. Spells? Yeah. Oh my God, the book of Psalms prayers even even if you um look up the our father right and the numerology of the our father and the bible in general there it's so interesting that the bible says you know no numerology no this no that but in and of itself at its core is everything that it's quote unquote against that's actually what kabbalah links back to Every single letter in the Hebrew alphabet has a numerical correspondence. And this is very, like, frowned upon amongst Jewish communities. And yet so many white people still practice it. And they rule, and they tend to trend a lot of these spiritual conversations. And I really hope, like, this podcast could be the start to some actual talks about change. (laughs) Yeah. And... Also, to that point, there's also, it works in the opposite direction. Like, when Muslim, when a wave of Islam came into West Africa, um, let me pull up the actual, um, it was an actual link, but basically there's masquerades in Burkina Faso to the god Allah in Islam. So, now we have Oh, within the last 100, 200, 300 years or so, we have a wave of Africans emulating Islamic deities to preserve their cultures again. And 
I mm-hmm. think it's at the end of the day, it just comes out of a place of humanity intermingling. And this is something yeah. I'd like to get into in the ocean talk. Um, the idea of colorism, how the light skin, dark skin talk came from like just scandals during the whole slave, like slavery period. And just, just all that deep stuff coming with that and identity. And I'd really like to have like more female voices there leading the conversation. No, that would be super cool. Yeah. But yeah, even, even as far as like Catholicism and ancient Rome, that's literally how Christianity spread. They brought it there. People were like, and then they started killing Romans who continued to practice traditional Roman beliefs. And Romans were like, okay, we're going to practice Christianity. We'll pretend to, but we're going to still honor Jupiter. We're still going to honor, um, who, what's Hera's name in um, Roman mythology? I'm actually not that like up to date on Roman mythology. After I found Orisha, I just did a complete embargo on European gods. Like, I feel that. Yeah, it's it's so much more empowering finding gods that look like you. And no hate on European gods or practitioners that believe in them. But like it's it just feels like I've gotten spoon fed that my whole life. No, I feel that. I'm just saying that's how Christianity spread in general, especially oh. Catholicism. It was the change from Roman mythology. They mixed it with Christianity. Catholicism came down from mass. If you look up um, benediction rites, the Hail Marys, all of that came from ancient Roman mythology. Then they had the whole Reformation, all that stuff happened, and we're going to take it back to the beginning, but it's hard for you to take it back from, to the beginning when we don't even know where that starts. And they erased any record of it. They like, I think the main fallacy within Christianity is the idea of not having any graven images, and yet Jesus is still against all odds white. <laughs> uh, like, y'all wish. <laughs> right? And that's where, that's where African mythology or mythologies outside of monotheism have an edge. You can have gods that look like everyone in your society. Because realistically, these belief systems are just a culture's way of telling you how to live your life. Literally. Like they're the they're the precursors to a lot of our laws too. So it Yes. Wow. Um this was a really deep talk, but I think I should end it now so it doesn't get like super lengthy. Because we could, and we would. (laughs) Yeah, but we could totally follow up in, like, future talks and, like, have more guests on and stuff. Because I think this this is really necessary to start creating, like, a safe space for Black practitioners while also, like, telling the white practitioners that we are here. We know as much as y'all. Like, you don't have to include us, but no, we are just as good, if not better, than a lot of y'all. Yeah, just by birthright. Right? Because a lot of us do come from lineages of this stuff, whether it's 
one generation removed or like like five because at the end of the day slavery was only four or five hundred years ago exactly people weren't even converted until 200 years ago it's not far from us it's it's in our blood if generational trauma can be passed down no generational intuition generational healing generational practices can be passed down it's in our subconscious it's in our blood it's in our dna (laughs) there's a poem from sonia sanchez that is really good here it was in lovecraft country it was called catch the fire highly recommend it to anyone listening and as well as you it's about like passing the torch down from generation to generation specifically within black families because we we have the fire that set light to set light to egypt started humanity helped build the pyramids and also burnt holes through slave ships like literally we have that strength inside of us and even if we're coming from the most christian of backgrounds we can still burn a candle on someone's ass <laughs> and and interestingly enough um i'm gonna like not probably not talk after this because this is like a point that i just thought of but like we know about twin flames and we know that natural white laws have been hyper-masculinized. And I kind of have this personal theory that people are of color are the, the manifestation of the divine feminine energies. We are highly intuitive. We have healing capacities. We're outstanding creators. White people know how to push. They know how to get that willpower. They have that emperor energy this point it's kind of it's kind of hyper and they've suppressed our energy and i i genuinely feel as though like uh, i forget the the connection i wanted to make but that was something i wanted to throw out there i do have a connection there though um egyptian culture talks about blacks being asleep for a thousand years just like in a hibernation and even when you look at ifa it's said that white people are the children of Olokun, the god of the, well, the titan of mysteries, and yeah. not the god of the sky. So it's interesting to think about it in that way. And I think we should definitely like pursue that in a future episode. Yeah, because I, I had like a whole close friend story about it. Oh, yes. I, like, but, we'll, we'll talk. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, this is, this is a chat that I feel like we we should definitely have because it's it's very intricate when it's written out and it's explained properly but i wasn't prepared for it but it literally just came back to me just now i haven't thought about it since may yeah i think i'm like i have a bunch of people we could get in, loop in on this but let's just like just say bye and you could give a plug to your instagram i'll give a plug to mine and then We'll ju- I'll end the recording and then we could just start like planning this out from here because mm-hmm. this, is, this is a good talk because I don't believe in Twin Flames in general. <laughs> like as far as like everyone, everyone uses it to create like these really toxic relationships. Codependency. Yeah. I have to be with this person because they're my twin flame. Baby, you're your own twin flame. And you <laughs> need to balance your own masculine and feminine energy right? within before you can worry about manifesting another. But again, that is a whole different topic. Shout out. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
All right, Shout thank out. you so much for coming, Liz. Um, Joshua had to leave, but his Instagram's at Morningstar Mystic. I'll make sure I have a list of everyone who contributed Instagrams here and highlighting our two guests. Um, my Instagram is at Doorway Pathway. And Liz? My Instagram is at Cubana Negra, and my business Instagram is at CoCreate, K-O-K-R-O-K-R-E. Eight, eight, eight.